All right. Good morning, everybody. I remember hearing one time that there was a there's a place out on the East Coast where the uh, the pastor comes up into the pulpit and uh, right and, and like right in the front of the pulpit. So you have to look through the cross like is, is a cross and you have to look through the cross to be able to to hear the word. So we're going to do that today. Not really. I'm going to I'm going to come to the side and probably preach over here. But uh, but uh, we'll we'll get to the, the meaning and significance of this uh, in a little bit. But good morning. Happy New Year to you. Glad you guys are here and, and with us this morning. I was thinking over the last year, um, I was thinking about just different conversations I've had with people, friends, uh, acquaintances, that kind of stuff, just different conversations I've had. And uh, w- was kind of thinking about how many uh, conversations I've had of, in, in the last year uh, with, with people that are struggling in one way or another. And, uh, and more than anything else, they just need a fresh start. They just need uh, something to happen where they can sort of have the, the past be cut off and where they can step into something new, a, a new way of life, a new kind of new hope for their life, maybe new hope for marriages or for relationships, new hope to be free and done with some, some ruts and uh, patterns and addictions and all that kind of stuff. I've had conversations with people that, that are struggling with addictions to all, a whole host of things, whether it be pornography or alcohol or drugs of some kind, uh, maybe some sinful pattern that's, that's uh, gone on and on and on that's really consumed and characterized so much of their life in one way or another. People often have walked and carried stuff for decades. Maybe they inherited it from their parents or from their parents' parents, stuff that has been passed down. And more than anything else, they just want to be free. They, they, they can watch themselves do these things and, and think, man, if, if only I could throw that off and I could step into something new. People oftentimes carry around loads of guilt and shame and regret because, man, they want to be free, but they try as they might. The the cycle just continues in them again and again and again. They just just want freedom. They just want a fresh start. I've had conversations with friends uh, that struggle with things like anger or unforgiveness or or, uh, different kinds of of generational sins. I remember uh, getting an email one time that said this. This is a quote. They said, I really believe that the shackles of family bondage are a part of my skin. They're a part of my thinking, who I am and what I do on a moment-by-moment basis. I can't get rid of it. It's a prison that seems to have no keys. For me, it's the never-ending screaming fear and perfectionism, legalism with myself and with others, an over-demanding critical spirit and negativity. And sometimes just being ashamed of who I am as a person. She says, it's in me deep down like a cancer, and I hate it. She went on and just asked me, she said, would you just pray? Because more than anything else, I want to be free of that. She's like, can can you pray that even God would help me believe that there is a, a new life waiting for me? Because I struggle to believe that I can actually step into something different. We've got friends, uh, I, scores of friends that are plagued by voices of the past in one way or another and those tapes just keep replaying over and over and over people that will tell me uh, about things that they hear or they think about themselves things like I'm I'm not good enough right I'm a screw up I'm a failure I could never be enough some of us are plagued by skeletons in the closet, and we're afraid that if, if people really found out who we are, that they would reject us for sure. And so we put on the face, and we play the game, and we go into hiding, and we keep people at a distance because we are terrified 
that those voices maybe are right, that maybe we are unlovable. Maybe, maybe if people really saw who we were, they would reject us and despise us as we do ourselves. Seems like so many of us have these things that are going on in our heads and our hearts. Could be, like I said, generational sin. It could be addictive sort of patterns. It could just be stuff that we struggle with. Could be anger or lust or who knows, a whole host of other things. It could be uh, some of the thinking going on in the back of our heads. But more than anything else, if, if we could be honest, we just have to say, I want to be free. I want to be done with that junk and I want to step in to something new. If I could, if I could wave a wand uh, and have 2017 be different, I would do it in a heartbeat. I think a lot of times we are asking questions uh, kind of in the back of our heads or in our souls. Just underneath the surface, we're asking questions like, can I really be forgiven? Can I really change or is this as good as it gets? Can I really find and experience and walk in new life in Christ? Is there really a different chapter to my life or do I have to just kind of limp through this life plagued by my sins and my doubts and my shame and regrets? Whether we know it or not, whether we give voice to it or not, I think so many of us really want to and need to find freedom. I think... uh, the Apostle Paul uh, in, in the book of Romans, uh, I think, nails it when he kind of describes what this experience is like for him and I think for all of us. He says like this, Romans 7, uh, 14. I'm just gonna kind of read through this and I want you just to kind of feel what he's, what he's saying here. He says this, I know that all com- God's commands are spiritual, but I am not. Isn't this also your experience? He says, yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but I still can't keep it, if I know what I should do, but I still can't do it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I absolutely need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment that I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, he says, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope, and then he asks this question, is there no one who can do anything for me? Have you ever felt that way before? Like you've tried to lick that sin or to cut out that cycle on your own? Like you've tried to be free from your past. You've tried to chart a new course. You've made New Year's resolutions up the wazoo, but you just can't seem to do it. The very things that you try to beat end up beating you. Have you ever, ever experienced that? Ever tried to, to live that new life that God has for you, but you've been beat up by a sin or by the regret or by the past or something like that that just tends to plague you? 
And finally, you end up shrugging your shoulders and just giving up, thinking, man, I don't know. I don't think I can do it. I don't think, I don't think it's possible. And you end up feeling hopeless, like you can never find freedom, or that you can never get out of the rut, or that God will never forgive you or free you, and it's pointless and useless. I think all of us have probably felt that at one time or another. At the end of Romans 7 passage, the passage that I just read, Paul describes the hopelessness and the frustration and the bondage, the addiction, so to speak, that he feels regarding sin. And he ends the passage by asking this huge rhetorical question, is there no one that can do anything for me? Is there nobody that can set me free? Is there no hope? And then he goes on to answer his own rhetorical question. (coughs) And he says this in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Oops, he didn't get quite to the, quite to the answer yet. But again, he's, he goes on asking that question. Who can free me from sin? Who can rescue me? Who can cut the cords to my past and let me step into a different future? Who can cut the cords of death and bondage of sin? Who can free me and forgive me and give me a new life? Who can transform me and make me new? And then he answers it in verse 25. He says, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what delivers means? What's that? Delivers? (coughs) Come on. What do you think? Rescues? What else? Free? Yeah, but he says, here, here we go. He's, he's asking the question, who can free me? And then, he, and then he goes on and says, thanks be to God. Thank you, God, that you deliver me, that you free me, that you cut the cords of my past, that you forgive me, that you make me new through Jesus Christ. It's like, that's, that's where our hope comes from. And then he goes on and says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. We are not condemned for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his one and only son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who don't don't live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So here's kind of the picture of what's going on that God's painting for us. On our own, he says, sin enslaves us. It tethers itself to us. It keeps us stuck stuck in our past, in the ruts that cycle over and over and over again. It dogs us every step of the way. When we try to move towards God and live his own way or his way on our own, it trips us up again and again and again. When we try to move towards freedom and new life on our own, sin will stop us in our tracks. It will disillusion us. It'll separate us from God. It'll destroy us and ensnare us and fill us with guilt and shame and hopelessness. He says, even when we want to do good, we'll find ourselves choosing sin and selfishness in our own way rather than God's. That kind of sin path, that kind of, that kind of uh, predictable path will lead us towards isolation. It'll lead us towards depression. It'll lead us towards loneliness. It's a huge downward spiral. 
And it's one that we can so easily get sucked into choosing its path again and again and again. And we end up feeling hopeless and defeated and distant from God and distant from others. And you can just hear the disillusionment as the writer asks the question, who can free me? Who can pull me out of this downward spiral? Who can cut the chains of my past? Who can rescue me and free me and bring me into a new life-giving direction to me? And then he stops and he says, almost by faith, he clings to the only hope that he has, the only hope that we have for freedom and forgiveness and new life. And he says this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who redeems us, the one who sets us free. Because of Christ, he says, there is no condemnation. There's no, con- there's no condemning us. Because of Christ, he says, the spirit of life has set you free from sin and death. Because of Christ, he says, our sins have been wiped out and I am forgiven and I am free. And there is new life waiting for you and me. As I think about this, I think, man, you think any of us need to hear that or be reminded of it? This morning, as we, as we look towards a new year, as we are, we just finished 2016, we're in the very first day of 2017 looking ahead. You think any of us need to be reminded that there's hope? You think any of us need to be reminded that the stuff of our past, the stuff of last year does not have to set the pace for next year? Do you think any of us need to be reminded that just because we have had sin and stuff plaguing us, wrapping itself around our ankles seemingly, like, and we're stumbling our way through there, do you think any of us need to be reminded that there really can be forgiveness, that Christ really can cut the cords, and that with his spirit and by his power, we can walk into a new life? I mean, I think... All of us need to be reminded of that, don't we? I think all of us need to be reminded that there is hope, that there is transformation, that there is new life, that that's what God does. That's what he does in our life as we learn to follow him, as we open up our hearts and our lives to him. He is the God of fresh start. He is the God of second chances. He frees, he transforms, he makes new. It's who he is and it's what he does. I I threw up a few more just... uh, scriptures that talk about this, but there are literally hundreds, probably thousands of verses that we could put up and look at these. I just, I just picked a few. Listen to this, Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. This is, Lamentations is a book of lament. It's a book uh, of sorrow, of sadness, of crying, of, of these kinds of things. And yet there's hope that's, that's woven throughout the passage. And so uh, it's, it's in a really hard season, and yet the, uh, the author says this, even though there's hard stuff going on, he says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Even in the darkest valley, he's saying, even when nothing is going my way, everything looks bad. He said, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. It's because of the Lord's great love that we are not consumed. For his compassions, his mercies, his grace never fail. They are new every morning. They're new, in fact, every moment. Great is your faithfulness, God. He says, you know what, There's, there is hope for me and there is hope for you. Why? Because God is, his love for us, his compassion for us, his mercy and forgiveness for us is great. And there's another opportunity to experience it and receive it afresh every morning, every moment. Because that's who God is, it's what he does. He transforms, he makes new, he cuts the cord of the past, he forgives, he frees, and he he ushers us into a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way, therefore, if any person, any, any man or woman, boy or girl, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old has gone. The old is gone. And the new has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation, the Bible says. That's it. He has made you new. 1 John 1, 9 says this. It says, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness, from all the junk and the sin and the shame and the whatever. He will, he will uh, purify us. The, the imagery, literally, okay, I went in, I get up early on Sunday mornings. I went down and was feeding the dog before, um, before I came, and there's a, a, a cup that we use, a measuring cup to uh, to measure out the dog food, and I picked it up and went to go do it, and I don't know what was in it. what was in that. Anyway, there was something liquid and slimy, whatever, in it. So I poured it like all over myself and all over the floor and everything else. I dump it all over, and it's like slippery. So I'm doing doing one of these numbers, but I, I uh, ended up I was like, oh crud! And so I run upstairs and I grab paper towels and I'm down on my hands and knees, blotting it up and trying to soak it up. That's the picture actually that this is talking about. This First uh, John one nine when it says He will purify us. It's a picture of expunging, of soaking up all the impurities and and restoring us to what we were like before, to cleansing us of all of our sin, of all of our unrighteousness. The Bible says that's what God does in our lives. If if we confess our sins, if we come to him and agree and say, God, I'm a wreck, I'm a mess, I need you. Would you come and forgive me for my sins? Would you come and forgive me for my anger and for my lust, for my addiction, for my whatever? Would you forgive me? The Bible says he is faithful to forgive you entirely, completely, as far as the east is from the west, right? He, so far, he removes our sin. So he, he removes it. He forgives us completely. And now he sees you just as if you never sinned at all. And then he goes and he soaks up the sin and the junk, the darkness in our hearts and lives. He soaks it up. And, and transforms us and leads us into new life because that's the kind of God he is. Isn't that, is that good news? Man, it's great news. The new creation has come and is becoming in us. Friends, today we're going to celebrate communion. We thought that'd be a cool way to start the new year. And, uh, Communion is a practice, it's instituted by Jesus, and it's a reminder for us that freedom and forgiveness and new life are all ours in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, then that is your reality, then you are free, then you are forgiven, you are a new creation, despite how it feels, despite what your last year may tell you, that is what's true. You are a new creation. New life has been given to you and the Holy Spirit's job this year, if you'll cooperate with him, will be to soak out and transform and make you new. Make, make what's true before God a reality in your life. He's got new and good plans for you in 2017. He wants to bring about a good work, a good transformation. The stuff of your past does not have to be the stuff of your future. There's good news for you and for me today, friends. And communion reminds us of the fact that new life has been given. 
Jesus left communion for us because he knew that we would need the reminders about who we are and about what he's done and about the grace and the forgiveness and the fresh start that he leaves for us. Let me just kind of give us a couple reminders about communion. Communion, first of all, it reminds us of our own sin like we've been talking about. It reminds us that on our own we are enslaved by it and we are hopelessly unable to break free on our own. That sin leads to death and to destruction, the Bible says. Nothing good comes from it. It's, it's rebellion against God. It's sort of a downward, dis, downward destu- destructive spiral. Not that I can talk. It's a downward spiral, right? Uh, away from God and uh, away from uh, the things that are good in life. When sin's mentioned in the Bible, there's only really three responses that we are to have towards it. This is what's taught over and over and over again in the Bible. Three, three main responses to sin. The first word and response towards sin is to flee, right? To, to do whatever you have to do to run away from it, to avoid it, to get out of the way. It's, it's where Jesus is teaching, right? And he says, hey, if your right eye causes you to sin, what's he say? Pluck it out. Now, it, it's sort of a metaphor because is your right eye going to really cause you to sin or is it, is it what's behind it? But, but he's saying that's the extreme that he's going to. saying, I don't care what it takes. Like, do whatever you have to do to avoid sin, to run away, to flee from it, right? Why? Because it's destructive. Why? Because it'll, it'll do irreparable damage to your, to your life, right? It'll, it's bad news. It's a downward spiral. It leads to death and separation. Avoid it at all costs. But the Bible then goes on to say as well, but, but if you find yourself tripped up in it again, which we all do sometimes, then he says there's two more responses uh, to sin when you find it and you see it in your own life. The first one is to confess it. It's uh, that first John 1, 9 we just, we just read, right? It's, it's to confess it to God, which means literally to kind of come clean and just to declare yourself guilty before God. Now, we live in a culture and in a world that doesn't like to take responsibility for anything, right? We don't like, we like to, to just, instead of uh, confessing stuff as sin, we like to say, oh, so, it was somebody else's fault, they made me do it, or we like to kind of redefine the terms and say it's not really sin it's just you know unpleasantness or I mean I don't know I mean I don't know whatever that is it's what but we kind of redefine it and the Bible's approach is completely different says no you're guilty God knows you're guilty he knows your heart just agree with him just say God yeah it's not just uh it's not just that I told a little white lie that wasn't a big deal so whatever needs no I'm a liar I have sinned against you, God, and I have lied. I have disobeyed you. I have dishonored the person that I've talked to. Would you forgive me? It's, it's agreeing with God. He already knows it. It's not, it's not just, oh, come on, I was just looking at a little stuff on the internet. It's no big deal, right? It's no big deal. Everybody does it. The stats say everybody. No, no, it's saying, God, I have a problem with lust. I have, I have a, there's something wrong with me. Would you forgive me and would you cleanse me and would you make me new? You see what I'm saying? Confession. That's the, the, Bible, the Bible says, man, if you are encountering sin in your life, this is the first response you have is to confess it. If I have an anger problem, I just come clean and say, God, I am angry and I don't know why. I'm critical. Would you forgive me? I'm whatever. I gossip. I slander. I say and think mean things about people. I'm destructive in, my, in, in the way I treat those that I love the most. Would you forgive me? 
So that's the first response is to, uh, to confess it. And the second one is uh, to repent, or the third point, I guess, overall, is to repent, which repent we've talked about before means to do a 180, right? You're heading in this direction and you turn around. You're, 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 you're walking in the ways of sin. You're walking away from God and you confess it. And then you turn back and you say, God, you're what I want. I don't want that. You are what I need. You are what I want. I come back to you. I turn my back on sin. And I want to follow you from this point forward. As we turn back to God in communion, we're reminded of a huge price that has been paid for for our sins so that we can come back to him. We're reminded that God's own son, Jesus came and paid the price for our sins, for our treason against God by paying the death penalty that our sins deserve, right? My rebellion against God has consequences. My, my pursuit of sin again and again and again has consequences. And the Bible says those, that consequence is death eventually. But the good news and the reason that we can experience God's grace and his mercy afresh every moment is because Jesus came and he took the penalty for our sins and he took it on himself and he died. Paying the price for our sins so that you and I don't have to. He paid the death penalty so that you and I can be free. And now he says, for those that have come, and then he rose again, and and, and for those of us that have come to Christ and are clinging to this truth uh, that, that he is the one that brings forgiveness, that he paid the price for our sins, that he is the one that that frees us from our sins and gives us new life. For those that have put their trust and faith in him like that, he promises to take away our sins as far as the east is from the west. He promises to come and live inside of us and take up residence in our lives to lead us and strengthen us and to form us and reform us and reform us and reform us more and more into his image day by day. He promises that we are forgiven, that we are given new life and we are a new creation. Communion reminds us of how big a deal our sin is. It trips us up and enslaves us. It leads to death. Communion reminds us that our, our own, the only appropriate responses to sin are to flee from it or then to confess it and repent of it. And communion reminds us of the cross, of the price that Christ paid so that we could be forgiven and free and live a new life in him. And communion as well is an act of faith proclaiming that, you know what, we're clinging to the cross. We're clinging to what Christ did. We're clinging to his words, to his truth. When he hung upon the cross, when he took our sins upon him and he proclaimed, it is finished right? Finished. It's a, it's a legal term. It means paid in full. Your sin debt has been obliterated. Your sin has been paid for. The cords have been cut to your past, to your sin and your junk, and now you are free to live a new life. For anyone who comes and puts their faith and trust in Christ, we are freed. Communion is an opportunity to, to hold on to that truth. Jesus says, anytime you come and you, you drink the cup and you eat the bread, he says, remember me. This is what he's talking about. Remember the price that was paid for, for your sin. Remember what I did for you. And remember as well that new life has been purchased for you. There is something better. God's got good plans in store for you in the upcoming year. And communion is an opportunity to remember that kind of thing. 
Well, today we're going to do uh, communion a little bit differently than what we usually do. Um, if you are uh, actually, when you came in there's shit in your program, you might have noticed this thing that looks like a wadded up piece of paper. That's exactly what it is. I want you to take that out right now. There should be, it's some on your seats. If you need extras, there's some extras around as well. But go ahead and take those, take those out. Like I said, we're going to do things a little bit differently. This is my best representation of sin, okay? Because it's garbage. That's what it is. It's garbage. And uh, the Bible's pretty clear that unconfessed sin is something that gets in our way. The, the image that I kept thinking of this, this week is I have a desire to be with God. I have a desire to connect with Jesus and live with Jesus. But unconfessed sin gets in the way. And I keep stumbling over it and tripping over it. And it keeps me from God to the point where I eventually get disillusioned and I distance myself from him. And yet what we said, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we come and we confess, we agree with God, we confess our sins, it says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to allow us to come back to God, right? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so today I'm gonna invite you to take a couple of minutes and to think about what are the things that have, I can't move this, what are the things that have been plaguing you or haunting you? What are sins that have consumed your 2016 what are patterns that you see in yourself, in your family, that just keep coming up again and again and again? This is a time to be honest. Nobody's looking over your shoulder. Nobody's going to pay any attention to your stuff because we've all got our own stuff, right? So, so let's focus on that. And I'm going to invite you to write down a word or a phrase or as many as you need to that come to mind. What are the things that you've been carrying around this year that have led to guilt or shame? What are the things that you are keeping hidden, hoping nobody else will find out that need to be brought out into the light before Christ? What are the, what are the patterns? What are the things that need to get confessed? What are the things that are weighing you down? Take just a minute and write those things down. Can you use this as kind of a confession? You can keep doing that. We'll have a little bit more time. The worship band will come up in a minute. They're going to sing a song, and you can continue to take some time and just meditate, even just pray, God, what, what are those things that are consuming me, those things that are oh, taking up so much of my life that I, don't, I want to leave behind in the upcoming year? Take those things. So, again, in just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to confess those things to God, to even just pray and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I agree, right? This is a thing. I'm struggling with anger. Not just struggling, I'm, I'm angry. Would you forgive me? I'm struggling with addiction. Would you forgive me? I'm struggling with lust. Would you forgive me? I, I, I do irreparable damage with my mouth. The words that come out of my mouth are hateful and angry. I am tearing down. Would you forgive me? So confess those things to God and then bring this, it's garbage, up, throw it in the trash can where, where it belongs and then take a moment and come and just stop at the cross and just say again, just God, would you, would you forgive me and would you cleanse me? Thank you for Jesus. And then when you're ready, come on up. We've got two communion uh, kind of stations set up and I've asked Josh and Julie to be in one and Tina and I will be at the other and just kind of come up and... Uh, 
and uh, receive communion. And here's what you're going to hear from us. And we're going to kind of pull out our Lutheran stuff today or something. But I think there's something significant about hearing these words when you come up to say, this is the body and blood of Christ given for you. It's given for you so that you can be free, so that you can be forgiven, so that the cords of your past can be cut and you can walk into new life. This is the body and blood of Christ given for you. There's something powerful, I think, about hearing those words. And then, then from that point, you can take the, the bread and drink the cup. You can eat it right there. And then we're going to stop and we're going to pray for you. And we're going to pray two things. The first one is going to be this. And again, I think it's powerful for us to hear this. So you're going to hear that promise from 1 John 1, 9 that we said, God, you know, we'll pray it over you. God, you say that if we are, are faithful and just to, or that we, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. God, thank you that you, that, that this brother, the sister is forgiven. You are forgiven. There's something we need to hear that, right? And that we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. And then we're going to pray blessing over you for the new year. That your, your 2017 could be characterized by God's good plans for you. By his mercy and grace. By the new creation. The new life. The new plans that he has in store for you. We will pray blessing over you. And then we're going to ask you to come back to your seat just with a thankful heart, just a heart that says, uh, God, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for the new life. Help me to live this new life. So you clear on this? When we, I'm going to invite the band up and just, in fact, you guys can go ahead and come up. Um, and uh, you're going to have as much time as you need then to, to meditate and to think about what needs to be on your paper. And then you can, when you're ready, crinkle it up, wad it up, throw, throw it in, come to the cross, and just sort of surrender it, right? Repent, turn back to God, right? We turn away from that, we turn towards you, God, I want my, I want my next year to be about you and your good plans. Come up and receive communion, and as you do, remember Jesus. Remember the price that he paid so that you could be free. Remember that today is the day of grace. Today is the day of new life, of forgiveness, of restoration between you and God. And then receive a blessing as we pray over you that, that you could walk out of here today and into the new life that God has for you in 2017. This is, uh, I mean, this isn't something we want to rush. Feel free to take your time and, uh, and we'll pray for you. Let me just read this. 1 Corinthians um, 11, 23 through 26 says this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.